This is Comic Picks by the Glick. Hey, I'm your host, Jason Glick. Hey, Jason Glick. Um, hey, is this this is the Christmas episode, isn't it? Yes. Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh oh, or happy oh, holidays. Oh, oh, oh. You know, happy holidays, everyone. I'll I'll, I'll keep it like uh, you know like um, neutral, but it's still for for those of you that celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas, everyone. And it's like we've got a great one for you tonight because like what says Christmas more than anything else than like talking about Warren Ellis rebooting the entire Wildstorm universe? Like I'm I'm saying it, so it's true now. But um, well, because like when I think about Wildstorm, it's like I think Jim Lee, I think J. Scott Campbell, I think Brandon Choi, and also I think Myron. Myron, how you doing? Speaking I'm of, I'm doing good. To, I'm doing good today, gentlemen. How you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great, man. So I'm glad you could join this for us because, as you know, longtime listeners and readers have probably guessed, um, your experience of the Wildstorm universe is probably a lot different than mine, really. Yeah. So you know, <clears throat> of course, you know, uh, our our favorite artist, Jim Lee. Um, and, a, and a few others, when they departed Marvel, they started Image Comics. And from Image, we got a whole lot of uh, great independent series, such as Todd McFarlane's Spawn. But uh, Jim Lee ended up uh, creating another subset called, you know, Wildstorm. And from Wildstorm, we had Wildcats, Gen 13. We had just so many great books come from that era. And me being a follower of Jim Lee from the X-Men days, like... I was really compelled to see what new work uh, he was uh, going to be putting out, and I, at that time, like I really got drawn to uh, Gen 13, which was uh, one of my favorite series from from that era, um, and that's what really put me on to J. Scott Campbell as an artist. And quite frankly, for me, um, he's probably one of my favorite artists of all time, and I still uh, follow his work and bought buy a lot of his uh, uh, variant comic books. But Gen 13 to me was just kind of like, I don't know, at the time when I started reading it and getting into it, it just felt like a new type of X-Men, kind of like a, a, a better yeah, version. Yeah, it's, like, it's basically like, like Gen 13 was basically kind of like, you know, young kids with superpowers. And I remember it was supposed to be originally called Gen X, but then yeah. Marvel got, got involved. Generation X, yeah. So it's like, it to me, that's, that's how I felt at that time. Like, I felt Gen 13 was just a way more cooler, edgier Generation X. And I know Marvel had Generation X at that time, you know, with Jubilee leading, you know, that, that kind of team. But, you know, we had Fairchild and... Uh, uh, Grudge. Grunt, Grudge and... Um, Burnout. Burnout and Freefall. There was just, like, the characters just kind of seemed sexier and a lot more edgier at that time. And then that's when I really got turned on to uh, J. Scott Campbell's art style. And uh, that really made me take notice on a lot of those artists at that time. And I never really uh, uh, read it hardcore, but Wetworks, which was uh, done by uh, Willis Portasia, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah, uh, He was a phenomenal artist, and I remember... Uh, reading Wizard Magazine and just seeing like promotions for this this upcoming uh, title, and I believe he ended up uh, uh, getting sick, and uh, the book never finished during that time, and I never uh, really got a chance to dive into it. But Wildstorm, it, it was just interesting how I felt Wildstorm was like. I felt Image and Wildstorm was like the Wu-Tang Clan of like the comic book industry where you had this ragtag of independent artists starting their own companies, starting their own titles, and then they started developing these subsets within the, the, the Image brand. And Wildstorm was like the first, from my recollection, that came from that, that subset. And um, yeah, they really put out some uh, interesting titles at that time. Yeah, it's like um, image, like I mean, like image, like they were all kind of doing a shared universe type type deal, like and there was all, and they were they had McFarland's deal with Spawn, they had um, Mark Silvestri doing, like uh, you know, like with, with doing stuff like like Witchblade or sorry, like he did, it's like what um, Cyberforce and then um, Cyberforce and then I think yeah, Michael uh, Turner on which on Witchblade, but um, they, but Wildstorm was always like kind of like first among equals here because like they had they had Wildcats, they had. They had Gen 13. They had Deathblow. They had um, Stormwatch. Yes, yeah. And and if I and if I recall, like I believe, like uh, Stormwatch and Wildcats, like that's like the name Wildstorm kind of came from those two titles. 
mm-hmm. and that's how, and that's how they derived the derived that that name. But yeah, I was that's how I became a really big fan too of Mark Silvestri. Like he did he did Cyber Force, and that kind of drew my attention to his artwork. But it was the darkness that you know under uh, Top Cow that uh, really caught my attention, and so like it really put on. Uh, it really put new artists from that era and from that studio on notice. And, uh, yeah, I, I think as far as, like, Wild Store comics go, like, Gen 13 was, like, the only one I kind of kept up consistently on purchasing. Um, Wildcats, uh, Wild as much as I love Jim Lee's artwork, um, the, my only familiarity with with the characters in the story is from a cartoon series they used to have back in the early 90s but um from from there like uh, i believe um battle chasers came from wildstorm and that yeah that was actually like a sub imprint within um wildstorm cliffhanger cliffhanger so so that there goes my point again with them being like, like the wu-tang clan of the comic book industry with these subsets being created within these studios and i remember yeah um, lots of different lots of different creators doing their own thing doing their own solo albums but i guess like the other thing is like you know the wu-tang also like you know got shit done exactly they uh they they put out albums every like like as a group and as individuals while like one of the big problems with like image and also with wildstorm in particular like they also had like lots of characters creators who were just could not put out a book a month really which (laughs) Right, which it, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, you know, a case in point would be like Battle Chasers, for instance. Like that never really technically finished to this day, correct? Well, tech, it's no, and it's still not because you know, even though like uh, Madureira has basically basically said during his Kickstarter for the uh, like for the Battle Chasers video game that hey, you know, it's like um, we're also gonna like try and put out the last three issues of the comic. Um, it's like, and a lot of people were like, kind of like, "Hey, this is great," but then he said it like about a year or so ago that, "Oh, yeah, these three issues are still coming, but I'm probably not going to be able to do do them myself." Because hey, also it turns out that hey, apparently like his company, like what Airship Games, or, I can't remember what it's called, they're apparently doing um something for the uh, League of Legends, um like um like Riot Forge um like ser- like um imprint, so. That's so that's that's kind of like telling as far as like, you know, how it's like how things have gone, because I mean, like, like Wildstorm and um, Imagework were fucking white hot when they when they announced and for like several years after that, to the point you could not get any like any more heat on it's like on an imprint or on the creators that were associated with it. Right. Right, Myron. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a very uh, interesting story about how um you know how how this brand you know came about so i mean um like i said during during that time i don't really you really had dc and marvel kind of like as the big heavy hitters in the comic book industry and then you had these hotshot artists who work for these respective companies go off and start their own thing and from this and from this it kind of gave this resurgence of creator owned uh, comic books and material and 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 platform for these artists to come out and create their own books and create their own stories, and I think you know, case in point, uh, Spawn recently hit a milestone as being like the longest running uh, independent comic book uh, series ever. And yeah, still still running three hundred issues plus now. Good 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 for Mc, good for McFarland. Good, good good for McFarland. But I mean, a lot of these uh, creators have come about and created characters that are still used and still timeless today in in comic books in general like uh in wild cats uh there's a character grifter who i believe is uh you know still still out and about within the dc universe man it's like i would love to be able to answer that because dc did make a uh dedicated effort to incorporate some characters from the wild wildstorm universe in the uh in their new 52 reboot, because here, here's one of the big things about um, Wildstorm is that, like, as, as, because like, they were so fucking hot um, that DC basically looked at them and said, you know what? We should probably buy them. And they did. Uh-huh. Because, you know, like, they, because, like, DC, as I remember correctly, like, they had three things that, um, that DC really wanted. One of them was Jim Lee. Uh huh. Um, 
Another one was like apparently their coloring um, studios. And the other was Alan Moore. Ah. Yeah, because Alan Moore, it's like, I mean, the fact that he um, like fell out with DCF in the wake of Watchmen was, um, is like, is like common knowledge at this point. Where he fell in after that was with the new creators at Image, especially at Wildstorm in particular, because he started writing Wildcats after a certain after a certain point. I've and I've got um, like the um, the volume that collects all of his Wildcat stories, and you know what? No, it's not as good as some of his best superhero related stuff. But you know, it's like for the uh, for the time. It, it is, I can imagine it being quite good, and we'll get to that back to that in a second. But, um, but more, um, like did enough good stuff with working with Wild Jim Lee that, um, Lee gave him his own imprint, America's Best Comics, and that's how we got, um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Promethea, Tom Strong. Um, it was basically like Alan Moore's, like, you know, latest comeback within the series, within the, the, the industry. And, you know, when DC looked at, um, Wildstorm, I thought, hey, you know what? We can get Alan Moore working for us again. Fuck yeah, let's buy this. It's like that, and um, that basically eventually led to the death of the imprint. But you know, it's like for Jim Lee, it seems to have worked out pretty well for him because not only is it's like does it does whatever he do, whatever he does at um, DC gets like automatic like like hey shit Jim Lee's drawn it's like another series now. It's like he's still like he's still a name within the imprint within DC industry, but he's also like one of the um, big higher, higher ups. Like I remember yeah. like a v, he's, he's like a VP or publisher at this point, but yeah, yeah but he's, that's, that's kind of how it is. And that's kind of like how that's, that's where really like sterling independent success gets you in comics. Like if you're really great, then Marvel or DC would just like, you know, try and buy your ass out. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is too, that, that what was great about, this independent movement in the nineties is that it allowed these artists and these storytellers to kind of like, kind of like branch out of the mold and kind of like reach for the sky because they weren't, they weren't confined by the restraints of preexisting characters that they had to stay within the lines to kind of like, you know, uh, stay within their audience, you know, Spider-Man, X-Men, you know, they have a pre-established storyline by the original, you know, by Stan Lee and the original creators. And they have to stay within that realm to not only tell new and compelling stories, but stay within the stay within the lines of keeping true to the character. By them branching off and doing their own things, they could just let their imaginations run wild and 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 flow and from that we got a a lot of great characters we got a lot of great books at that time a lot of great books that i felt that um didn't really uh either get their true shine or i feel didn't get the longevity that they deserve um you know case in point like i really i was really into uh danger girl at that time which i believe was under the cliffhanger umbrella as well yep um i remember collecting like maybe the first 10 issues and that of course was because you know my dog j scott campbell was you know draw drawing that book at that time and i remember i think it was during that time too where what you just mentioned like dc ended up acquiring wildstorm and it moved over to that umbrella and it just didn't have that same uh and of course j scott campbell wasn't drawing for it at that time like it just didn't have that same capture for me so um yeah i felt like during that era of the early 90s mid 90s like we got a lot of, of phenomenal artists uh come from that wild storm uh cliffhanger movement especially uh one of my favorite you know for all you guys know you guys know that i'm a big spider-man fan and her Humberto Ramos is one of my favorite Spider-Man artists ever. And I remember first being introduced uh, to him through Crimson. And at that time, I think I really wasn't into his artwork because he had this kind of like exaggerated uh, big foot, big, big hand kind of like anime style. And I think Crimson was more of like a vampire book. So I didn't really... Uh, show interest in it, but I do remember his work being kind of striking at that time. I'm like, oh, that's different. I see him now and how he's grown as an artist. Like, I truly appreciate his artwork. Um, and it's interesting to see how a lot of these books I used to collect in the 90s, like 
from Jay Scott or uh, um, uh, Humberto or even uh, Joe Maduera, how they drew in the 90s to how their style has grown and matured up until now. And I and I have to give the I have to give thanks to the opportunities that they were pre- presented with during that era, and it's all because of Jim Lee. Yeah, as I, I have, you make you make a great point right there. It's like that that basically like um, one of the best things that Jim Lee did with um while, uh, with Wildstorms is basically like letting the creators do what they want. Basically, just letting them go. It's like hey, you know, it's like just hey, just what, what whatever you think is going to be a good idea, just go for it. And that's. And that's kind of what, what led to a lot of the success. And also, it's like also to some of its weirder, it's like um, it's like more writer-driven impulses as well. Because it's like for me though, it's like it's like when I when you say Wildstorm, it's like I think of one guy, and that's Warren Ellis. Because it's like he he came on when he came on writing um Stormwatch, I think like it was around issue 37. And um it's like it was just another like X like X-Men clone series. I mean, you had like 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 the like um, Henry Bendix, the Weatherman, like bald guy, it's like running a bunch of superheroes. Um, Myron, it's like you. I mean, you don't have any strong memories of of Stormwatch, or or do you? No, I remember the name. I remember the book, but I've never like paid close attention to it. Okay, yeah, because basically when um when Ellis took over, he basically started make like he basically had like one of the villains quoting quoting Nietzsche like a. Flaming, a flaming, a naked flaming skull guy, and um, just like go, and um, he just basically turned them and turned the team into like a more, it's like um weird, it's like weird science science fiction um like, like dri- like driven series, and one that would also, and also one that also would would address like um more current concerns like pre- police brutality, believe it or not, and yes, it may seem just like kind of crude and all, like say hey, superior series in the late early nineties is going to address police brutality, but it's kind of like. Wow, it's like this the series was just kind of was kind of weird and strange. And um, when Ellis came came on board, he introduced like a couple new characters, such as Jenny Sparks, Spirit of Electricity in the twenty first century, Jack Hawksmoor, the character like a uh, superhero who could own who who was in tune with cities and could only live within them, and um Rose Tattoo, the living spirit of murder, and um split Stormwatch into three groups. There was Prime, the uh, it's like it's like the group that could. Uh, that was like meant for like um, large scale deterrent action. There was the police. There was the um, second 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 level series, the one that was like only for like um, like police level deterrent stuff. And then there was Black, the uh, like the team that was um that was meant for like like um covert ops stuff. And it's like and Ellis did like um like did a good job of like um showing us like yo hey what what could this it's like yo what what could these characters be like when um. Like we're not just like doing like like regular superhero stuff. I mean, he gave them like he gave them distinct distinct personalities. It's like um ha- like introduce like it's like it's like interesting like interesting mature level stuff, and also had some fun like playing with the conventions of superhero like of the superhero history. Like there was one issue of Stormwatch where he had artist Tom Rainey um like it was give us Jenny Sparks' um history, but it was also the history of um like comics themselves, and he did. Like and had Tom Rainey doing a good job of like putting the characters through, um, like various eras in terms of like you know pulp pulp style, um, it's like and um strong like strong fury stuff. It's like it was like he, it was good experimental experimental work. And then when um the series um ended with issue fifty and relaunched with a new number one, it's like giving the series like um like a more international like international um like style style appeal and putting um. Jackson King, um, in, like at, at the head of the team instead of um, Henry Bendix. Um, well, it's like Ellis just realized, hey, you know, it's like this. This series is not. I mean, like I want to do like more with this. Like I don't want to like, have, have the, like these characters like beholding performing the status quo. And that's how we eventually got to um, the Authority, this, the the team that basically like this, this is the team that basically realized, hey, you know, it's like if some evil dictator is ruling, is like take is um inflicting terror upon the world we're just gonna go in there and just yank yank his ass out of there and just murk and just um just like destroy him and his power base we can do this hey if um some like and the, if there's some aliens from a parallel universe who are threat threatening us to take over the world we can just go over there and um just um just and just murder and just murder the fuck out of them hey and if um an evil it's like an evil cthulhu s god is gonna uh, come to destroy it's like 
destroy us on the uh, advent of the um, new millennium, then hey, we can just go and take them out as well. It's like the authority was all about doing big superheroes, superhero stuff on a big wide um widescreen um scale. It's like and um it and it was great. And even then and after that, um after Ellis um and artist Brian Hitch departed after twelve issues of just like A-list superhero stuff, um, Mark Miller and Frank Quitley came over and took over and raised the bar even further for the next eight issues, but you know, and then there was more after that, but you know, like things kind of went off the rails after like DC acquired Wildstorm and they realized, Oh my God, what is he doing? This is horrible. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that's honestly kind of the story of what happened after that, because um, the authority and was kind of like the big last, the biggest, like the highest point and also kind of like the last gasp as far as Wildstorm's um, like influence went like under DC because DC basically just did not like, um, you know, their kind of like extreme, it's like, like a pro extreme irreverent approach to superheroes. I mean, sure. They kept, they kept letting um, like Lee and the and his creators like do what they wanted, but sales were declining. And even then when Lee w- wanted to get back into things, like he, there was a big Wildstorm relaunch. So there's supposed to be a big Wildstorm relaunch, where uh, he was drawing Wildcats again, and Grant Morrison was writing it, and Morrison was also going to take over the authority with Gene Ha um, illustrating it, then DC basically went, uh, no, we want you to go and do other stuff. Now, now, do you think uh, what you mentioned before about, like, you know, DC didn't really care for, like, the extreme take on heroes, um, do you think that was more because of the times? Because if you really think about it, like, the early '90s, mid '90s, you know, that was really. Oh, we're the time. Into, when did the aughts now? Oh, we're in the aughts now. Okay, because like, if you look, it well, I'm saying if you look in like the early '90s and the mid '90s, like the anti-hero kind of like grimy type of hero was yeah. like really in at that point. Like your your spawns, your you know, Wolverine was super hot. At, well, Wolverine's always been popular, but he was super hot at that time. That that mm-hmm. kind of like that people it, were always trying to copy him. Yeah, it's it's that during the '90s it was like the edgy hero, whereas you know back back in the you know the 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 golden age, silver age of comic books, it was that squeaky clean Superman, Clark Kent type hero. The '90s we kind of had that that grimy kind of like dark anti type hero. Then when we get to the aughts, like you know the hero, the the view of the superhero or superheroes are are changing yet again. Do you think? DC acquiring Wildstorm and kind of not really digging that um, style of hero at that time kind of had that change in their perception of like, yeah, we don't want to go this route anymore. Yeah, I think that, um, well, DC's always been kind of squeaky clean. And I think, and I, I, know what you, I know what you're saying, but remember what I said about why DC bought Wildstorm? They bought yeah. it for three, for three things. They of did course. Not, they didn't buy, they did not buy Wildstorm for Grifter, for Spartan, for um, like like for Henry Bent for Henry Bendix and all these other all the other characters, they bought it for the people and technology associated with with it. Right. So I, yeah, because I, one of the other things I think is telling is that when um when Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson brought um the boys to Wildstorm, and they were and they were doing that, um DC basically looked at this these first issue once once it started coming out, DC realized, oh my God, we are publishing a series that is basically like giving a big middle finger to some of the to some of the characters that we publish no we are not doing this you're canceled uh-huh. and that's and so basically like that that series wound up going over to um dynamite uh-huh. and so basically like you know when you had this because it was created around because ennis and robertson like like um owned this they were they could they could do that but at the same time though it's like you know like um dc basically like um had like a Wildstorm. This is a series that would that was very much within Wildstorm's established wheelhorse, but um, then they, but um, DC just basically said no, we're not doing this. And basically, like, everything kind of a- after that, you know, DC basically just kept just kept um, I mean, Wildstorm. Like every attempt they made to just try and like you know relaunch the brand just did not work. It just kept going. Just we're just getting further and further into diminishing returns until. Until DC basically looked at, looked at things and went, okay, yeah, we're pulling we're pulling the plug, and um, I'm sure like 
Lee looked at this and go, yeah, this is disappointing, but you know, it's like, I could see where this is going and all. Yeah. You know, I, I just think it's just like, you know, it, it, it seems like it's kind of coming full circle again, at least in this day and age where, you know, uh, the, the edginess and kind of real real realness of certain characters and certain heroes is more prevalent now than it was in the 90s and and what i mean by that is like oh um like if i were to say uh an example of like um i'm going to refer to spider-man again because he's always been my favorite character you know when ultimate spider-man came out where they kind of put peter in a a, a younger age again, but they kind of made him more edgier for that time for like the early two thousands. I felt like that kind of resurrected a new fandom of uh, current and new Spider-Man fans because it, it just kind of made him a little bit more, uh, let, you know, less squeaky clean. Um, I look at some of these properties that Wildstorm produced back in the nineties that might not have done well in that current, reboot that you're talking about but if they were to do if they were to have done it like let's say now like it might be a little bit more successful than it would have been back then and i'm wondering if like you know now that you know since dc ended up buying wildstorm productions if that is like you know they own those properties they own those characters that they would do you know a new resurrection of some of these books some of these franchises well that's kind of what we're you actually done a good job of coming, bringing us to what we're, what we're talking about right now, because I think that, you know, like I'm sure that Lee has always been like kind of pushing for some kind of Wildstorm revival, but at the same time, like you kind of think, okay, what part of Wildstorm are we going to revive? Okay. Obviously Lee is not going to like draw this because he is busy with, you know, his um, commitments to his corporate commitments to DC and also just, you know, whatever else that, that he wants to um draw it's like mm-hmm. on his, on his own time. So it's like, I think like when, when they're, when he, the time came to like, to think about, Hey, you know, that he wanted to go, Hey, you know what? I want to go and revive Wildstorm. What interesting. Is, yeah. What is going to be the most, the, like the most like commercially viable way to do this. And so he thought, and so I'm guessing he thought about this and he realized, okay, you know what? I'm going to give this to the, to the one writer that is most closely associated with the brand. Going to give it to Warren Ellis. Mm. So that's that's how we get um this 24 issue maxi series The Wildstorm. It's basically Wildstorm is basically Warren Ellis taking everything about the Wildstorm universe. Um it's like we're, and we're talking and he draws, draws from a fairly broad range of it's like like of properties associated with it because we get because um we get um we because the wild because Wildcats is is in here Stormwatch is in here Gen thirteen is addressed but not quite but um but the thing is though it's like because because uh, as this is something that um Ellis is um writing himself the ultimate goal is always going to be um was going to be uh, leaning back towards the authority but um the series basically. Because the way the series starts is basically you've got two opposing organizations. You've got international operations, which is basically like we are there, basically like um, running running Earth from the shadows, running all the governments and everything. And then you've got Skywatch. Well, international operations was I think they're they were also a they're a Gen thirteen group. If I remember, right? That doesn't sound familiar to me. Okay, um, it's like international operations was like was one of the was one of the evil bad groups. Um, Skywatch um, is the group that is running every. There's running like everything from space, and uh-huh. that is and that's like the, that's storm. That's basically Stormwatch. So basically, you've got two secret organizations running running the world like opposed to each other. It's like trying and um, they hate each other, but they've got trees in place to keep everyone them from killing each uh, each other and everyone else on Earth. The series starts with um, one of um, IO's um, um, engineers. Or sorry, what special people? Um, Angela Spica, um, like tr- um, talking to um her boss, um, Miles Craven and his husband, um, like in in the middle of it's like, it's like, like in the middle in the middle of work on Earth, um, just like asking him just for just for like additional resources to try and like help this thing that she's trying to do because hey, she's also like bleeding, bleeding out from her stomach in front of him, but he says he turns her down and she's like you know going 
going back to her to her lab trying to figure out what to do. And then some guy gets thrown out of a window. It's like it's like it's like out of a skyscraper. And so she just and so she realizes, okay, I've I've got to step up because no one else is doing anything. Because Angela Spica is the engineer from from the authority in the original version of the Wild Storm, and she is the same character here. She has got an she has got an like an exosuit that she that that is that is um, underneath her skin, and she ignites it, saves the guy who turns out to be Jacob Marlowe, the head of the Halo Corporation, or the people well will recognize as you know the head of the leader of the Wildcats. So so she sa- she saves him. And then runs off to parts unknown. Jacob um, once realizes that you know she need that he she needs that she needs to be brought in under his group, which is a wild cat, a wild covert action team, because covert action teams are are what um, IO runs on their own terms. His is a wild cat because it's not one of theirs, but it's also but it's also uses some of their people, which is one of them is um, of course Cole Cash, and then also there's um, Kanisha and um, Adriana. T- Tereshkova, um, Void. So there's so there's a lot of stuff um, brought, like um, that's th- that he's bringing in like for like for the Wildstorm here. It's like, and it's and I think that one of the things he gets this right here. And correct me if I'm wrong, Myron. Is that the idea? One of the key ideas about the series is just like there's all these like secret organizations running the world. Uh-huh. Like yeah, there's. It's like it's like the world we know is not being run by the people that we've elected. It's just run by these secret organizations that are really in control, being IO and Skywatch. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's kind of how it that's kind of how it goes for like the first for the first couple of, first couple of volumes, and cause like cause like it's basically all about um, like IO and Skywatch just. Finally, their their conflicts coming slowly coming to a boil with um with Marlowe's on Wildcat kind of stoking things in the background, but also um you've got but also you got um like and Angela um like you know slowly um coming into her own realizing you know how how I can like you know work um, get get my own um technology under control and also connecting with other people. Who um, are not affiliated with any organization, such as Jenny Jenny May Sparks, who also has the ability to um, run through, like run through any kind of technology. Um, Shen Li Min, like otherwise known as the Doctor, who is basically kind like a, who is basically keyed into like addressing the uh, like the mental health of like of the world that she's in. And there's Jack Jack Hawksmore, again a character, a, a guy who is not necessarily designed to live in 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 who, whose ability to live in like urban environments is only um, engineered because he was part of a slave race dev- devised by um, Skywatch to um, live, to basically live in and do the work in um, in um, in worlds that you know they've are, they've they've eventually conquered because hey you know we've nuked the place we've nuked this place to oblivion now we need people to go in and um, it's like and make things work so and. If you're wondering, like, hey, where do Apollo and the Midnighter come in? Well, they get a cameo appearance in Volume Three, and then they come into their own. It's like in Volume Four. So, but um, Volume Three will probably be most interesting to you, Myron, because th- it's not quite um, like bringing in Gen Thirteen, but it's based. But um, it basically has has John Lynch um, going around um, visiting people from Project Thunderbook. Basically, all the parents of the characters from Gen 13 are met here. <laughs> now, if I remember correctly, Lynch was their mentor, like their, you know, his, the, the crew's quote unquote, uh, professor X, so to speak. Yeah. It's like, and he's and like, basically he was like the, he was the former head, former head of IO in this, it's like in this series. And, um, apparently he, and Thunderbook was all about implanting alien, um, DNA or Karen, um, DNA into these into into people to see what would happen. Some of them um, felt compelled to have kids. Others um, got were um, messed up to um, serial killer levels of bad. Wow, so. that's crazy. So weren't 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 the weren't the parents from uh like the 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 characters from Gen thirteen weren't their parents part of a a series or a book called like Team Seven or something like that? 
Uh, it's like I know that Team Seven was a thing in Wild in Wildstorm. Um, I couldn't tell you, I could not tell you that because I did not read. It's like any of it. I, I mean, like, Team Seven is is familiar. It's like I think that might have been like wasn't that like Lynch's team before? I, yeah, I believe so. That's that like Lynch was part of that team. I remember because I remember references to that, and I thought that. Um, some, if not all, of the characters from Gen 13, like Fairchild, um, Freefall, and all them, like their parents were a part of his crew, and that's why he's like mentoring, mentor, mentoring them based off of what you're mentioning now, too. That you know, he, I felt that he was compelled to watch over their, you know, his team's children. So, um, that's that's interesting that you make that correlation. Yeah, it's like, well, it's, I think it's cool that Ellis was like trying to like incorporate a lot of, um, it's like a lot of the Wildstorm lore into this into the series. Like it wasn't. Yeah. It's like he wasn't just trying to um do. I mean, like okay, he, the ultimate goal of his series, as we see in Volume Four, is basically bringing in the authority. And um, you know, it's like, hey, you know, it's like, the, I mean, he's he's entitled to do that because you know, it's like that. It's one of the, it's one of his big successes, and you know, like, as far as like you know, and like, it makes and it really makes sense in the course of the series because you've got these two organizations that are like you know flaring up for a hot war against each other and then you need like one other group that is basically going to come in and say hey you know what no we're not going to do that we're just gonna we, we know how the world should be run how the world um, needs to be run if we're not going to kill everyone on it and it's like and i think on on that level i think you know it's like it works i mean like just the idea of like you know hey like these like the old systems of the world like um just be just turn out to be to be bro- to be like conspiracy minded, broken, and not doing anyone any good, let alone the people who are running them. And then you've got like this other group coming in to to try and um break it's like and break things up and show everything and everyone a new way. And I think and on the, I think the series that series works. I mean like it's like in terms of just like you know just taking like all this all these characters and all this lore that was not meant to be like you know one cohesive el- like um story and just turning it into one i think that um ellis that ellis does succeed on that level i think that definitely things could have been um like there are some things that could have been he could have illustrated better such as um showing us just you know more about you know this like this specific like hold that io has on our nation's governments it's like stuff like you know stuff like that and also i think that the series is all also, like it's really dialogue driven, so it's kind of like, so like I mean, like you t- I mean, you talk about all like the like the great art and action of the series that the original series had. Uh-huh. This, this one is it's really just like lots of people talking about stuff in cord in the hushed corridors of power. So I mean, the guy who does this all twenty four issues is a guy named John Davis Hunt, uh-huh. and um, it's like and he I think he does he does a good job. He's great with the like the you know, the characters, like the like showing us like like characters and like showing us their their emotions and giving us a great um Henry Bendix guy who just like whose design really leans into like like evil Patrick Stewart it's <laughs> like it's like it's it's great and also um and also just like other like it's like you know like Bendix's um scientist um bad guy um Ragnar Hellspont which you know hey it's like you might remember as Hellspont being one of the evil daemonite creatures from like um like from Wildcats, but um hey it's like here he's Ragnar Hellspawn, which I think is a great great name, and um he's just being the evil mad scientist and just just throwing in just the ability like to like bring in that bit of like that bit of character here was like was fantastic and also yes the Damon Knights are here the Karens are here it's like there like I said there's all sorts of stuff that he brings in here it's like it's not just like the stuff that he wrote and um to be interesting I'm. I'll, Honestly, kind of surprised that he didn't um, find in find time to bring in any um, anything from Planetary, but um, it's probably for the best because Planetary was a great, you know, largely self-contained series that didn't that took place in the Wildstorm universe, but didn't um, like directly address like like address a lot it's like a lot of it. But um, one other thing about the series though is that even at twenty-four issues, it's like it really does feel like he, like Ellis was setting things up for 2024 more like the uh, bits with um, the, 
introducing the parents of the Gen 13 crew. It's like, or just like introducing the authority as they are saving the world. But um, hey, you know, what do we do from here? It's like I figure like you know, there's got to be, there's got to be more here. Like, and there's also like, you know, what what about the Karens as well? So there's, it feels like you know, even at 24 issues, I mean, I guess the one of the problems is that Ellis is he's a great writer, but he's also like the kind of guy who just loves going off on his on digressions and um it's like and and just talking about like you know, stuff without just you know delivering delivering on it in, in some cases yeah that's that's one thing i wanted to ask you and bring up was uh after your time you know reading reading this uh 24 issue line like do you think this is do you think this is just a uh, a mere one shot revival or do you feel like it would be success, like the way the story and everything's been written out and fleshed out, that it would be successful enough to capture uh, this current generation of readers to continue on with this, not only the uh, you know the the Wildstorm series, but just you know bring some of these franchises back into their own, like uh, a, a new Wildcats, a new Gen Thirteen, things like that. Do you think this would? Uh, totally revive like the the stories under the wildstorm brand well that was kind of the plan when mm. um when things came out because apparently when like when dc when um dc approached jim um ellis about re- um about reviving um wildstorm they they wanted him like like to like you know they approached him like the idea of like okay doing a like a full-on revival series which was the wildstorm and then also two additional series as well one of them was um, Michael Cray, um, mm-hmm. Deathblow, and he got a 12-issue series. Basically, just involved him going around killing um, DC characters <laughs> who were in the uh, Wildstorm universe. So, and he and he shows up. He get he's he's featured fairly prominently in the first first couple of volumes before he just you know, fades into the background and shows up again to um, get cer- uncer- unceremoniously dealt with in the final volume, but. Um, at, but while that while that series actually happened, um, another series that was supposed to be spin up um, after the Wildstorm was um, Ellis doing a six issue Wildcat series based on his take on the team here, uh-huh. and that was supposed to be with artist um, Ramon Villalobos. But for whatever reason, um, that series was effectively canceled, and um, and Ellis basically says no, it's not going to see the light of day for whatever reason. It was supposed to be just like a six issue um, run, like. And it was gonna be like in his like global frequency mode of just doing like dense, um, dense single issue stories of like you know the team engaging in like some world crazy world, world threatening um event with within each issue, but it didn't happen. And um, I one of the other reasons I think this didn't happen is because you know the series when it launched, it sold all right, but um, not in the levels that you would that that would suggest that there was like a lot of nostalgia out there for a Wildstorm revival. So I'm glad that the series like, you know, got the, was able to run for all 24 planned issues. I think that um, based on what he was doing here, it could probably run for another 24 after that. But as it is, you know, it's like, it's a good self-contained story that on one hand, it's like, yeah, it's like, it reminds me of like, Hey, you know, this is where I, it's like, you know, it's, Ellis coming back to do um, his um like, like his um Wildstorm stuff, the stuff that made him famous, but it's not just him doing it like in a very different in a very different way than what he did back in the day, and I'm sure that's probably why he did it in the first place. But it's kind of like you know, anyone who came, it's I'm not sure how this would really appeal to anyone who was a huge fan of the series. Of, of Wildstorm in the first place because, like I said, it's a very dense, talky series. And while I think the art from Davis Hunt is quite good, it's leagues away from what what Jim Lee and J. Scott Campbell were doing, like, at the time. Right. I mean, at, at this point, like, you know, you have, like, the older school fans who grew up with the original uh, books that launch under the Wildstorm brand that are going to kind of, like, stick with it and stick with that era. I think that rebranding and redoing the Wildstorm in this day and age for people who don't know about those characters and that history, you just have like, 
you basically have 20 years of like new new readers uh available to be able to reappeal to and maybe be able to spark a new interest to be able to re- relaunch those kind of lines so um yeah it, it would be interesting to see if that ever were to come about yeah it's like i mean like he, he like ellis kind of really had to do something different because i mean you just couldn't you know just put a new like Wildstorm series out the stan age and expect every like i mean like like all, all, all of us who remember, like you know, the glory days of Wildstorm, we're kind of a, we're kind of a dying breed. And while I, the series was undoubtedly trading on some of that nostalgia, it also made, I, th- I think, it made a good effort to try and like reconfigure that, just give us something that that um, that that we weren't expecting as far as, as far as just you know, hey, remember how things used to be for the Wildstorm universe? Well, nope, we're Here. doing things differently. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's so. I, so I liked it. I mean, like, I'm not necessarily sure if, like, if I would like just if I would say that, hey, you know, you gotta go out and buy this now, Myron. But you know, the first twelve issues, like, do have like they've all got variant covers from Lee, so he was clearly on board with this. So. I I assume this is on trade paperback as well. Yeah. So like, okay. All, yeah, all four all four volumes are available in trade paperback right now, and you can, you can go out and you can go and buy them when like whenever you want. So. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you know, J- Jason knows me. Like, I, I, I'm more old school, where I usually collect uh, uh, individual issues of certain certain books. And you know, I'm, I'm old school. You know, board board and bag. You know, boxes of comic books. But trade paperbacks are like a better way to ingest and get the full story, um, especially like if you're spending four or five dollars on a comic book and you're unsure if you're going to be able to keep up with the expenses of individual issues then you know you might not want to invest or even jump into a storyline that way so you know when i talk to you or listen to your podcasts about uh certain trades that you've read and based off your recommendation you know they're usually a good prices to where like okay i'm willing to take a gamble and uh you know pick this up and see if i could you know dive into it well and you know seeing as how this this story you know the wild storm actually pertains to something i'm familiar with from my childhood i'm a little bit more inclined to like okay if i could find this on amazon you know you know for good good price i'm willing to you know dive in and check it out yeah it's like i said it's it's a lot different from what you expect but i think it's the i think it's a good kind of different yeah so. i mean i mean we're we're all getting older we're all all aging like i don't expect and i think this is more of a fan thing where it's like if you're seeing a resurrection or a reboot of something you grew up and knew and love you can't really expect the same thing you can't have member berries with everything um, yeah <laughs> some, some, some sometimes i like to see uh different perspectives uh, actually a lot of the times i do like to see different perspectives and different interpretations because you know one way i used to view it, it the one way i used to view it at a particular medium as a child I might view differently as an adult. You know, there's certain things I used to love as a kid I don't like as an adult. There's certain things I used to hate as a kid that I love as an adult. Like, I mean, it, it's all about a matter of perspective in the way uh, the medium is presented at you. And like I said, uh, you know, talking earlier, like, you know, when it comes to comic books, the first thing that is drawn to me is the artwork being, you know, somewhat of an artist myself. Like, I've always looked at artwork as that drawing factor but if the story is crap then it's like oh well you know i hated the story but at least you know i have some cool artwork to look at or reference to but when you have something if when you come up with a property or a book where marriage is a good story and good artwork then then everybody like the consumer wins and that's what drew me into a lot of those books from back in the day you know your gen 13s and um you know your danger girls and all that like and and i'm being biased because i'm spitting both j scott campbell books but um that was one thing that drew me into those stories were his artwork and a lot of uh books like that jim lee did that drew me into um those books from what he drew and so like but as an adult like i tend to kind of look i still look at the artwork but i also look at the synopsis and what the story is about. And of course, talking to other fans and talking uh, to friends like you, I get different perspective to where like, 
what how much is my time worth and what am I going to use to uh, spend my time with? What am I going to uh, spend my money on and what am I going to spend my time with? And when I get recommendations from you, it's like, okay, like, let me take a look at this and see what it's about. So, um, yeah, it, it sounds like this is an interesting uh, modernization hearkening back to something that I'm familiar with that I kind of want to check out. Yeah, I think you should, I think you should at least give the first volume a read just to, just to see if it's up if it's up your alley. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, John, it's like so. Any thoughts on your end about like any of this? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just wanted just wanted to make sure. But yep. I'm glad. But man, I'm glad you could join us because like I cause, like I realize it, like I said your perspective on like when I say Wildstorm, it's like I got my perspective on on what on what they brought to the table and that's like a lot different than your perspective and what what you think they brought to the table as well yeah because yeah because i think you, you spit more insight about this beyond what you know what i've mentioned earlier but a lot of people don't remember <laughs> that there was a uh a, a wild cats cartoon and toy line and uh, a gen 13 animated uh, I think it was a short animated movie. Nobody remembers that, and nobody. When I bring up Gen Thirteen or those type of franchises, nobody really remembers uh, Wildstorm. You know, I think that Marvel and DC have dominated for so long. Like everyone forgets about Image, and uh, everybody forgets. Oh about... well, everyone for, everyone's forgotten about old school Image. Image old, these days yeah. is I, a I, lot is a lot different. Uh, yeah, I should I should I should have chose my words differently because I I forget the Walking Dead is the big you know the biggest thing from Image but yeah old school Image that came about like like I mentioned about what they did for independent comic book artists and writers like you know I don't yep. it, it it was it was amazing and and uh, you know I think that the independent comic book scene we have today might not be what it is if it weren't for those. Uh, six individuals that went off and did their own thing and within that independent studio they created they ended up creating more studios like top cow you know wildstorm and you know so many different things and it was a magical time in comic books at that point um and and i truly do miss it because i mean you know a lot of a lot of the folks that you mentioned earlier like jim lee like jim lee's doing a lot of important big wig things in within dc but trying trying to keep the company from closing down under under warner brothers exactly yeah. exactly but when he picks up a pencil and does things like you know like it's going to be quality yep yeah all right um do you know what you're going to talk about next time Oh, so thanks to the magic of time travel, I can tell you that we're going to be talking about Paper Girls um, next next time we do this. But the next time after that, well, hey, Myron, you're coming back to talk to us, talk to um, me and John about um, House of X and Powers of X, right? Krokoa for life. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers. No, no just kidding. <laughs> no, no, there's no spoilers there. Move it along. All right, anyway. Looking forward to that. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll catch you next time on Comic Picks by the Glade. Later. Later. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.